Last Sunday, Pastor Bill Fullalove began our Advent series on miraculous births in the Bible. And today we continue in our series in the book of Judges in chapter 13. By way of reminder, these messages look at specific births, God-purposed births that have significance for the Bible's unfolding reality for redemption and salvation. As we begin, I'm sure most of you have experienced a time when bad news was the consistent topic of the headlines of every media news outlet. Day after day in the social news, wave after wave of poverty and crime, abuse, and the multifaceted examples of human brokenness, you you hear it again and again and again. Well, this is where we find ourselves in our Bible passage today. Today we travel back in time to the time of the judges around the year 1124 BC. Today we journey back to the birth of the judge, Samson. Today as we go through our text, we're gonna work through Judges 13 in four parts. But first, hear now the word of God. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let, her drink, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, 
Then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up the flame, went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanedan between Zorah and Eshtaol. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, grant us light to see and to walk in your word and in this world as your people for your honor, your renown, and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, we are introduced to a problem. Number one, we are introduced to a problem. Our passage starts with a problem, a major problem, a recurring problem in the life of the people of God. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, are repeat offenders, if you will. There's a phrase that as you read the book of Judges, you're going to see it again and again and again. It is this, God's people do evil in the sight of the Lord. Here is a people God has called his own. He has instructed them to worship, to walk with, and to obey him. And, and if you do that, life will be well with you. God delivered this people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. God worked incredible miracles in the sight of this people, assuring them of his supremacy over everything. God used Joshua to lead Israel into the land of promise, where they would have a, a new beginning as God's people. And they are to be what the surrounding nations aspire to be like. They are to be a light to the nations. But God's people have a problem. Time and again, they return to pursuing and committing evil deeds, evil thoughts, evil living. The collective heart and actions of the people are godless rather than God-loving. In the opening chapters of Judges, in chapter 2 in particular, you read this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. 
They abandoned the Lord, the the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. The Bible says they committed evil in the sight of the Lord. We should keep in mind, you all, that the scriptures teach us nothing is hidden from the Lord. Nothing, nothing. God is ever present. He sees your thoughts and mine. He knows our every movement, our every action. He is indeed very well acquainted with you and me. In the sight of God, this people, they they choose open rebellion. They choose swiftly passing godless personal preference. They serve empty idols. God's life-giving instruction, which he gave to the people through Moses as they stand on the plains of Moab before they cross the Jordan to go into the promised land, they forget all of that. They ignore that and they sin against God. As a result of the problem, God disciplines his people with judgment. Well, what does he do? God places his people, I like to think of it this way, under a disciplinary providence. God gives the Philistines power over Israel. But we need to remember here that the Lord disciplines those he loves. God has a plan in the discipline. Number two, we have a story with a promise. We have a story with a promise here in Judges 13. We're introduced to a married couple, Manoah and his wife. Manoah, who is, he's a descendant of the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 tribes of the patriarch Israel. And we get to know his wife. She's barren. She has no children. And then one normal day, the wife has an incredible encounter. An angel of the Lord appears to the woman with a promise. The angel of the Lord tells her, you're going to conceive, you're going to have a son. And then he gives her all of these uh, very specific instructions about this particular son. He says the child is going to be a Nazarite to God all of his life from the womb even until his death. Well, what was a Nazarite? A Nazarite was someone who took a vow of consecration to God to be separated for God's purposes. It was something that I would make a vow to do. What's different here is the angel of the Lord tells her the child will be a Nazarite from the womb until his death. God makes the declaration And then the angel of the Lord gives the woman a promise about the child. In verse 5 we read, And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin to save Israel from... Number three, the people are given a savior. We began with a problem. Then we see, uh, 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 we have a story with a promise, and the promise is a savior. 
The people are given a savior. The angel of the Lord promises that the son of Manoah and his wife will be a savior. He will begin to save, to deliver. He will begin to rescue the Israelites from the hand, from the power of the Philistines. Well, what about this angel of the Lord? Who is this angel of the Lord? What is he up to with Manoah and his wife? What is his importance to Judges 13 as well as the rest of the Bible and all of reality? In our passage, Manoah's wife, in her excitement, she tells her husband what happened to her. We, we read this, a man of God came to me, she says. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome, splendid, brilliant, breathtaking. I didn't ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. And if you'll allow me to paraphrase, but he did tell me this. <laughs> and she recounts the angel of the Lord's promise and instructions. But Manoah, Manoah's like, I got to hear this for myself. <laughs> he goes to God in prayer, and the angel of the Lord comes again to the wife. Of course, she quickly goes and retrieves Manoah, and he gets there and he asks several direct questions. Are you the man who spoke to this woman? I am. When your words come true, what will be this child's manner of life? What is the child's mission? The angel of the Lord again confirms what he told the woman. What I want you all to hear is this. Not that I didn't want you to hear all of that. I want you to hear that too. The angel of the Lord comes to this couple with good news. The angel of the Lord comes to this couple with good news about their son for the people of God. Bad news is going on all around them. God has placed them under the oppression of a godless people. The angel of the Lord comes during a time of discipline to give much-needed good news. Well, who is this angel of the Lord? I submit to you that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He is the second person in the Trinity, in the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this example in the Bible a Christophany, a, a, a time when Christ appears before uh, the New Testament. Manoah asks the man's name, and he gets this response. Why do you ask my name? Seeing that it's wonderful. In your English Bibles, you read the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In the Hebrew, uh, there, it's, what's, we call it the tetragrammaton, four letters. That's all that means, four letters. But they have no vowel points on them. They were removed because of the great reverence they had for the name of God. He said, we can't say his name. But here the Lord says, my name is wonderful. Manoah and his wife learned that the angel of the Lord is God after they give a burnt offering and grain offering to God. Look again at verses 19 to 20. Manoah, he takes the young goat with the grain offering. He offers it on the rock to the Lord. 
to the one who works wonders. And he and his wife, they're watching what's happening. And as the flame rises to heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord goes up in the flame, in the altar, all the way into heaven. They fall with their faces on the ground. Interestingly, you know, the angel of the Lord, he refused to eat, but he told them exactly what to do in order to please him. Offer this sacrifice. Give it to God, to the one who works wonders. And as the sacrifice, this offering is being burned, flames and and smoke rising heavenward, the angel, the second person of the Trinity, he steps into the offering fire and rises into heaven. He accepted what they offered just as he had commanded them. Notice Manoah's response in verse 22. I imagine he's like, oh, no. We, we have, we, we're going to die. We've seen God. Panic and fear and despair fill him. But listen to the response of his wife who has kept her cool all this time. <laughs> if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering or the grain offering at our hands. He, he wouldn't have shown us all of these things. He wouldn't have announced to us such things as these. The angel of the Lord, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came down with good news of deliverance for the disobedient people of God. God promised these parents a deliverer, a savior who would begin to save his people. The son is born, and they name him Samson. But this is only part of the story. <laughs> this is only part of the story you are. And you say, well, Terrence, what you talking about? Where are you going? And number four, God gives us the greater savior. God gives us the greater savior. Church, Judges 13 is a story that is a part of a greater story. A story that involves each and every one of us from the first man until the very last one when the Lord Jesus returns. Judges 13 and the situation that it addresses points forward to another savior. Judges 13 points to the greatest savior, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for us to understand how Judges 13 points to Jesus, we have to first realize something about us. You know, the Bible searches us. It goes into our hearts. It questions everything about us to bring us to our knees and say, oh God, I need you. We are like ancient Israel. We, we, we have a major problem. We have a recurring problem. We have a sin problem. We have an idolatry-loving problem. We have an I think I am better than this person or that person problem. We have an I don't need God problem. We have an I don't need Jesus Christ problem. We have a that's your truth but not my truth problem. We have a my tribe, my people is better than you and your people problem. We have a vice problem. 
We have a lust problem. We have greed problems. We have alcohol problems. We have pornography problems. We have jealousy problems. We have a problem of unbelief. We have a problem of disobedience. We have an I think I am God of my life problem. We have a missing the mark of the standard of God's glory problem, and it affects each and every one of us. We have a a major life-altering problem, and we are powerless to do anything about it apart from the intervening love and grace of God. I was a little surprised to see John, 6, John 3, 16 pop up there because it's a part of my sermon today, y'all. You remember John three sixteen, right? Many of us had to memorize John three sixteen at a young age. John three sixteen tells the greater story that Judges 13 points to. Both passages teach us that God is patient, merciful, gracious, good, and giving Loving, wise, forgiving, hallelujah, and a savior, the savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I remember my theology professor, Dr. Douglas Kelly, down at RTS in Charlotte, quoting John Owen about John 3.16. He said, for God so loved the thing that hated him most that he sent into this world his only son for us. We were the ones, we were the ones who hate God most, our creator. God so loved disobedient rebels like us that he sent into the world to rescue and deliver He sent his only son. Our Advent candle today is about that love. See the magnificence uh, of the Bible here, you all. In Matthew, in a dream, an angel appears to Joseph instructing that Mary's gonna have a son and he says to name him what? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, telling her she will have a son whose kingdom will have no end. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the greatest, and he is the only Savior who pays the debt that we owe to God for our sin. And he reconciles us back into right relationship with God. Samson was a savior that God appointed to begin to save his people during the time of the judges. But Jesus Christ is the great savior, you all, that God has appointed to save to the uttermost. I remember one time I was at a conference in, uh, in Atlanta so we call it a Christmas conference. And uh, the, the preacher, his, his name is Harry Reader, he was preaching about Christ on the cross. And I'll never forget it because he said, there is the Savior nailed to the cross. At any time, he could have called down legions of angels to take him down, but he didn't so that we could be saved. 
I became emotionally distraught. I was undone. Have you ever experienced such love that Jesus has accomplished your and my deliverance forever? He's paid for every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. There are some of you in here today who may have walked away from God. You may have walked away from the faith. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, God has provided a savior, the savior for you, amen. Or if you're watching today, he's provided a savior for you. Today, God is patient. Today, God is merciful. Today, God is gracious and loving. Today, God is forgiving. Today, the Lord wants to be your savior. This table here in front of us down here is a visual representation of God's promise to you and to me that Jesus Christ has paid the price we can never pay. Jesus, Jesus. This table is a visual aid of God's patience and mercy and grace to all of us. Today, Jesus is present. Today, Jesus is your savior and wants to be your savior. Today, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And Father, we so thank you for providing for sinners, for rebels like us. You have provided salvation. Our sins are paid for. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us. As we come to your table, we pray, oh God, you would commune with us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.